Welcome to Tales of Britain and Ireland. This is a podcast telling the stories, legends and folk tales of Britain and Ireland in no particular order. Presented by Graham and coming direct from South Yorkshire, each episode tells a story or selection of stories from all across these islands and throughout their history, followed by a short and decidedly inexpert discussion of the origin and themes of each tale. This episode, following on from last time, we've got another instalment in the tale of Fionn McCool. Before we jump in, I'm going to reiterate something I said at the end of the last episode. It's important to realise that the Fionn stories aren't just a simple story of the life of Fionn. Rather, the Fenian cycle, which is the branch of Irish mythology which concerns Fionn and the Fianna, is, to use a modern equivalent, much more like an extended cinematic universe. And it's the breadth and depth of this mythology that really appeals to me. Right now, we're very much at the early stages of any good extended universe. You know the one, the origin story stage. And the gang is gradually getting together. Last episode, we looked at the origin of Fionn's notable and magical hounds, Bran and Skjulung. And I'd recommend you listen to that first, as it will come up here. And this episode? Well, we're moving on to the origin of probably the most famous member of the Fiona after Fionn himself. Let's get to the story. Fiona were out hunting. The hunt was of great importance to Fionn's warriors, an exercise in practising martial prowess, encouraging playful competition, strengthening the bonds between the men themselves and between them and their dogs. Hard physical activity and training, but it was also a time of excitement and fun. The rewards from a successful hunt were great. Following the actual hunt itself, there would be feasts that would go on for days, where stories would be told and songs sung about the prowess of the huntsmen, and no doubt some verses mocking those who had been less fortunate. But like almost everything in the lives of Fiona, it was also a time of danger. The danger came partly from the nature of hunting itself, but more pertinently it also came from taking the hunters outside the relatively safe realms of humanity and into the wilderness and the unknown. The hunt cared little for boundaries, and in the heat of a chase, invisible borders could be easily crossed, and men could find themselves in places they were not meant to be. Fionn was ahead of the rest of the Fianna, as was often his way. He was in pursuit of a fawn that had outrun all the rest of his men. It was just him, Skirlang, and Bran in this now. They followed the swift-footed deer into a valley, and the animal all of a sudden did something very unusual for prey running for its life. It stopped and deliberately lay down on the grass, not exhausted, but calm and waiting. Fionn was astonished when he saw it, but the attitude of Skirlung and Bran was stranger to him still. They approached the deer, and Bran's harsh, killing snarl died in his throat and the fierce hunting hounds licked the deer's face and neck. They even nuzzled the animal. Well, I never, said the bewildered Fionn. All his desire to complete that final defining act of the hunt was washed away. And even if he had wanted to, he sensed his dogs would not have allowed it. And he trusted their opinion more than many of his own soldiers. Well, 
This was strange. Fionn watched the dogs playing with the deer for a while, and soon the daylight was waning. Okay, well, we best get back to the others. You get to live another day, little deer. He called his dogs away and turned to set off. He hadn't gone far when he sensed something behind him. He turned. The fawn was following them. He set off again, and the fawn continued to follow. No, no, he couldn't do this. Oh, come on, another pet? A deer? Who keeps deer? You hunt deer? No, shoo, shoo. But as Fionn started towards the animal to shoo it away, he heard a growl from Bran, which for the first time ever was directed at him. The fawn's eyes grew big and wide and sad. And despite himself, Fionn could feel his heart melting. Oh, okay then. But if the other dogs go for you, well, on your head be it, yeah? This doesn't mean anything. The deer skipped up to him joyfully and licked at his hands. His dogs played with their newfound friend all the way home. And so it came to be that this fearless, possibly very stupid deer, was put up in Fionn's home that evening. I can imagine the questioning looks exchanged between the men who were tasked with finding it something to eat and a place for it to sleep for the night. But Fionn was the boss, and so the fawn got the very best. Fionn gave a great yawn as he readied himself for sleep. He was alone in his room, after a day that by most people's standards would have been slightly strange, but which, for a hero of his calibre, probably ranked low to middling on his personal unusualness scale. But the day wasn't quite finished yet. The door creaked open. Quick as a flash, Fionn had his spear in hand, and it was fully readied by the time a woman he didn't recognise pushed the door fully open and entered his room. She was young, beautiful, and clad in the very finest of dress. She saw his spear, forming her words very slowly, as though with great difficulty. She said, No, I'm no danger to you. I- I'm Sive. I mean, I was the deer, and now I'm not. Now I'm not. I'm me again. Her voice was choking up with joy, and as Fionn cautiously lowered his spear, she began to haltingly tell her tale. And now some wavy lines appear over the screen, indicating it's backstory time. Sive came from a noble Irish family, and, like others Fionn had encountered, she had been unlucky enough to attract the unwanted attentions of a member of the Shi. This seemed to be a perennial hazard for attractive young nobles in ancient Ireland, and I imagine that many parents advised their youngsters not to accept gifts from strange men or women in barrows. Now the she who fell for Sive was Far Doraher, the Dark Druid, possible Celtic god of the underworld, whose name was so overblown and dripping with evil that it sounds like it should always be announced dramatically, followed by dun-dun-dun and enthusiastic booing and hissing. Fadorah, the Dark Druid. Well, Fadorah asked Sive to become his, with all the awful implications of becoming somebody else's. 
she, quite understandably, refused. And like many supernatural beings and humans both, he respected her autonomy, gracefully moved on, and they never really saw each other again. No, no, that isn't what happened. No, for a being centuries, possibly millennia old, he was pretty awful at dealing with rejection. But unlike last episode's overly attached don't-take-no-for-an-answer she, Ukdelov, Fadaraha didn't try to force the relationship. But unfortunately, like Ukdelov, he wielded the magic of transmogrification for anger and to have his revenge. You dare to spurn me, Fadaraha, dark druid, whose name alone has struck terror into the hearts of men across the centuries. Who do you think you are? As Sive turned to flee, Fardaraha raised a wand made of hazel, the magical tree of the other world, its wood favoured by druids human and she alike. And from that wand of hazel, magic flowed. And broadly, that is how Sive came to be eking out a life as a deer in the Irish wilderness. She'd been in that wretched state for three years, getting very used to the taste of berries and grass, trying not to get herself eaten by predators, and discovering how good or not deer were at conversation, when one day, unprompted by anything, a glimmer of hope beckoned. A slave of the she took pity on Sive, and this whistleblower revealed an important secret to her. The curse that was on her would be automatically lifted if only she could make it inside the boundaries of a fortress claimed by the Fianna. Why such a specific clause in the spell? How did Sive's unnamed benefactor come by this knowledge? Not a clue. Why was this person helping her now? Was he a human or a she in rebellion? These are really interesting questions we are drawing an absolute blank on. We don't know, and neither did she. But she certainly wasn't one to look a gift horse in the mouth, and so she had set off in her dear form, running far, far away from the lands of Far Doraha, Dark Druid, where she had dwelt for so long. Navigation was of course difficult as a deer, asking directions impossible, and her hooves struggled with Google Maps and the fold-out paper type both. But this was her only chance, and she certainly wasn't going to give up. She galloped for days, always terrified that that dark druid would be behind her. And finally, her hard work paid off, and she had come to the lands of the Fianna, and found Fion at the hunt. Hoping beyond hope that her information was good, she put all doubts aside and put a plan into action. The plan was simple, and probably pretty terrifying. Outrun the hunt. Outrun them until only Bran and Shkielang were left. Why them? Because she knew their origins, for their fame had spread wide. She saw in them kindred spirits. Though their circumstances were different, they were, like her, humans transformed into animals by the dark sorcery of the she. And she hoped and she prayed that they would know their own. And so it was that she came to be before Fionn now. As if to confirm her story, Bran came to Sive's side as she told it. 
He licked her hand and generally treated her with the affection reserved for a long-lost friend. He knew what she had been through. He was happy that she had returned to the form that he had never known. Now, this was a lot to take in for Vion. But even so, it still made this only about an average on the mystical happeningometer by which his experiences were to be measured. And so, he adjusted pretty quickly. And though she was only just reaccustoming herself to human conversation, Sive and Fion talked long into that night. They talked long into the next one as well. And several after that, in fact. Sive and Fion were getting very well acquainted indeed. And pretty soon, after nights and nights of talking, they were married. Now you might well expect some kind of story of the marriage here, but there isn't really one. But let's imagine a seriously raucous and fantastic feast, full of all the animals to eat, all the booze to drink, dancing and singing and poets, and all of that great stuff. It was fantastic. Best wedding ever. And after that, well, several months passed by. Fionn was barely seen by the Fiana during this time, showing his face for only the most necessary of duties before dashing back to his new wife. His famous love of both the hunt and the fight had been tossed aside in favour of the pleasures of the flesh. It was a damn good few months for the both of them. For Sive, it definitely beat being a deer. But as the saying goes, all good things must come to an end, and so it was with this blissful honeymoon period of these two lovers' whirlwind relationship. Not due to any falling out, you understand, but by the demands of everyday life, rudely impinging themselves on the happy couple. Now there comes a time in every week-long bender when you finally got to get from beneath a pile of empty beer cans, vodka bottles and pizza boxes, open the curtains, wince as the sunlight hits your sensitive eyes, and acknowledge you might just need a wash, a change of clothes, and maybe you should consider eating a vegetable, or two. That moment finally came for Fionn when he really needed to go into the office. He was of course head of Ireland's independent fighting force, and being your own boss has its perks in terms of hours. But there are some situations where if you want to keep your job, you really have to show your face. For instance, when a huge Scandinavian army attacks Ireland. Oh yeah, the Irish didn't just have all their own internal disputes and all the problems with the Shi to deal with. There was a huge world out there, full of all kinds of people. And sometimes they were just good old foreign invaders. Now in terms of how much of a threat they posed, they were really only the low-level respawning goblin equivalent of the Fianna's enemies. But they were arriving in force. Ships full of bloodthirsty raiders were sighted in the bay where modern-day Dublin lies. Ships approaching Ireland intent on plunder, and maybe even conquest. In the absence of other standing armies, it was up to the Fianna to gather and defend Ireland. So, with a great deal of reluctance, Fionn tore himself away from his new wife and their much-used and abused conjugal bed. He gave promises that he would return soon and they could resume their entertainments, and there were many long embraces and kisses before the two finally said goodbye. And there's nothing you could give me to trade places with the poor people in those raiding armies. Not only were they facing demigod Fionn McCool, but they were facing a Fionn who was fairly grumpy, to put it mildly, about having to get out of bed to deal with all of this nonsense. Level-headed and forgiving as he might have proved at periods of his leadership, 
those qualities were severely tempered by the irritation at the timing of this whole thing. And so soon the splendid forces of the Fianna were marching out from Almu towards Dublin Bay. And Sive watched them go. Concerned for Fionn, but also proud, and so very happy with her return to the world of humanity, and for the love she shared with her new husband. And there was another joy she felt. She hoped Fionn would hurry back. For when he returned she knew she could be certain. And if she was, she would give him the good news. The news about the new life that was growing inside of her. Four long days passed, and Sive wandered the fort listlessly. No word had yet come of the battle, and she was trying not to worry. The fort was lonely at a time like this, when most of the warriors were away along with those who served them, and she had little to do. And so her heart leapt when there came the unmistakable sound of the horn of the Fianna. Loud rang out its beautiful, haunting cry, and the skeleton staff of the fort, Sive included, rushed to the gate. Her heart was filled with hope, and maybe a little fear as well. But she needn't have feared, for there was Fionn, horn in hand, with Bran and Skylang by his side. He smiled when he saw her, and she was overcome with joy. Sive rushed to the gates, asked to be let out to go to him. Where are the rest of them, my lady? Just a... My man, that is the father of my unborn child. Let me go to him. And so the gates were opened, and she rushed out to embrace her husband. And as she reached him, Fionn reached out to her, hazel rod in his hand. The onlookers from the fort watched in horror as Sive's body twisted unnaturally, as though overcome with some terrible fit. She cried out mournfully, and in but a few short seconds there was a woman no longer, but a fawn stood upon the grass before the fort. Sive turned around, made back for the gate, and for the people were now rushing out to help, wielding swords and axes. But the evil doppelganger that wore the form of Bran leapt forward and used its cruel jaws to grasp Sive by the throat and drag her back. She struggled wildly, breaking free from the creature's grasp two times and making back towards safety. But each time the Bran-shaped beast grabbed her in its jaws and carried her back. Those small number of the warriors who were rushing to her aid were now nearly at the sorcerer, his dogs, and his fawn captive. They were ready to strike, and... Later, when they compared accounts, they could not agree exactly what had happened. Just that all of them knew that by the time they reached the place Sive should have been, she was gone, along with her supernatural kidnappers. They searched in vain, and in increasing panic and desperation, but all to no avail. There was nowhere logical for them to have gone. They had just disappeared.
was a few days later that the bulk of the Fianna arrived back at Almu. They had been triumphant, of course. They'd driven off those invading armies and covered themselves in glory as protagonists are wont to do. Ireland was safe again, and the victorious Fionn McCool had proved that he was still as able a warrior as ever before, if a more impatient one, and he could now return to his life of wedded bliss. Except, of course, that he couldn't. The joy he felt at his homecoming quickly turned to anguish as he listened with mounting horror to the story his men had to tell him. Once the tale was told, he beat his chest with an all-consuming rage and woe, and he retreated into his quarters. His new wife had been stolen away from him, and she suffered yet again under that awful curse. That day, Fionn vowed vengeance on the dark druid, Fadarha. He had killed a she before, and now he had the might of the Fiona behind him. It was personal this time. Fionn would find that dark sorcerer, free Sai from her curse, and make sure that that she would never harm anyone again. And so, he set off into the wilds of Ireland. We all know how this story goes, yeah? It's one of the oldest. The hero rescues a woman from the clutches of an evil villain. There's questing on the way, and maybe everything doesn't go entirely smoothly. There's what we might call princess in another castle syndrome a few times. But eventually, an epic showdown between the hero and the villain beckons. Perhaps that was what even Fionn expected. Though difficult, his life to this point had been a series of successes overcoming all obstacles to fulfil his destiny. It was just a matter of time before he could put this episode behind him and reunite with Scythe. So he scoured the land, searching fervently. For dogs, he took only his two with him, deathly afraid that any others might inadvertently end Scythe's life. And he found nothing to go on. No leads, no hints as to where the she might be. Nothing. So he expanded his search to every unexplored corner of those untamed lands, possessed of an incredible fervour, driven on by the aching sense of emptiness inside of him. He and the men he took with him found themselves battling against the harsh forces of the elements, against hostile peoples, and against supernatural threats too. But whatever victories they won, no word of Sive came. On and on he searched, and yet always the results was the same. No fawn for him to rescue, no dark druid for him to battle. He became despondent, seized by an intense sadness, but he did not cease his quest. This was not how it was meant to go. He longed for that cliched climactic showdown, but it never arrived. And in the meantime he was still leader of the Fianna, and he had duties to attend to. Though he felt he had a hole inside of him, this young man was growing fast, and he had responsibilities that he could not put aside. Both small raiding parties and invading armies came from Scandinavia to Ireland, and it was under the command of Fionn that they were defeated and driven off. But when he was not at war, or at his desk, he resumed his desperate search, but as the months turned into years, whatever hope he had gradually died. 
It never quite went away, that hole inside of him. But the raw intensity of the pain gave way to a dull, constant ache that flared only on occasion. Years had passed. The dogs had got the scent of something all right. Bran and Skylang had disappeared into an opening into the rock, and the other hounds had followed swiftly after. The furious sounds of their barking could still be heard clearly by the men outside the small cave. It was now seven years since Sive had disappeared. Seven long years of sadness for Fionn. Necessity had long ago led to the lifting of the prohibition of dogs hunting deer and Fionn and some of his men were hunting near the mountain of Ben Bulban. That vast and spectacular flat-topped rock which dominates the landscape was a place known for its rich hunting and for the magic that seemed to flow around its crags. The men followed the dogs into the cave, and to their shock they found the animals facing off against each other. Bran, Skirlung and the other three dogs of Fionn were in a circle, warding off the rest of the pack. There was a great growling, barking and a gnashing of teeth, but Fionn's dogs were holding their own, and successfully protecting that which stood at the centre of their circle. That was a boy. Long hair covered him from head to toe, which you could easily tell, as he was completely naked. On seeing the child, the men immediately called the dogs away, and almost all of them returned at once. All except for Bran and Skylang. Seeing he was out of danger, they went to the strange boy, licked him and stood by his side. He in turn stroked them, and those two dogs had never looked so content. He didn't speak, the men found out quickly. Not that he was a mute, he could make a range of sounds, imitating animal calls perfectly. It was just that he didn't seem to know any words in any language. He was healthy, and his spirit seemed strong, but it was clear that this child had grown up without human contact. He shared an affinity with beasts, but not the men, seeming much more afraid of them than the dogs. There was nowhere around where he could have come from, no people at all, and so the men of the Fianna took him with them, shared their food and their drink with him. And I bet he loved that. Probably a good portion of those early days was just him getting used to the wonderful taste of actual cooked food. Now Fionn considered. He considered the boy's features, considered his age, and a strange suspicion started to form. Perhaps he even sucked that magical thumb of wisdom that will curiously not be making an appearance in this story. And what Fionn began to wonder was whether he could see a little of Sive in this foundling, and perhaps also a little of himself. Could he dare to hope? Could this strange wild boy be his son, somehow? But if so, where was Sive? It seemed like such a fanciful thought, and Fionn was careful not to let his hope run away with him. But just in case, Fionn kept the child with him, played with him, taught him, and Bran and Skylang seemed to be very happy with that decision, and the dogs and the boy soon became the bestest of friends. Fionn was impressed with the child and his quick ability to learn. Months passed and gradually the boy shed his wildness, took to wearing clothes, and... After a few false starts, he finally began to speak. Piece by piece, the story came out. 
and now it's time for the screen to dissolve into wobbly lines again. His earliest memories were happy ones. They lived in an idyllic land, the fawn and him. The deer cared for him, showed him how to feed himself from the fruits, the berries, the roots. It was a vast valley where they lived, complete with rivers and forests, hills and smaller valleys of its own. But all around the edge of this place were towering cliffs, with sides of such steepness and magnitude that no grown man could have scaled them, never mind a child. There was no way out, so he and the fawn were penned into this lush land. He ate well in the summer, and in the winter food was provided for him, left by unseen hands in the shelter of a cave. And all might have been fine except for those times when the man with the angry face came, the only other person apart from himself that the boy had ever known, a person who somehow could come and go at will despite the cliffs. Luckily for the boy, the man with the angry face cared little about him, but unfortunately for the fawn, he seemed to care a lot about her. Sometimes he would speak softly to her, but mostly his voice would be loud and angry and as it became so, the clouds themselves darkened in this place. However the man treated her, the fawn would always draw away from him, trembling in terror, and the boy was afraid for her. But apart from these times, they lived an idyllic life, and he had been very happy. Until that last day, when the man had come again, and he had spoken at the fawn with words the boy didn't understand. The man talked for a long, long time, his voice flipping between soft and harsh sounds, until finally the anger in his voice reached a crescendo, and all of a sudden he reached for a wand which he turned to the fawn. Her stance changed, and when he turned to leave, the fawn's body trotted after him dutifully, but her head, her head was turned to the boy, and all the while she cried pitifully. In that awful moment, the boy knew that he had to act, and so he ran at that terrible man who was dragging his mother away by magic. The man turned at the sound of the boy's footsteps, surprised, as though he had forgotten he even existed, and like a giant crushing a gnat, the man simply waved his hands, and the boy suddenly found himself frozen into place. Struggle as he might, he could not move. He had to watch, but overcome with grief and rage, watch as his crying mother was dragged away. Eventually, when she was long gone, the power that held the boy disappeared, and he fell to the ground, and he slept. And when he woke, he was no longer in that valley. He was in the cave at Ben Bulban, and he was alone. He searched a while for that place, tried to get back to it, but he never could. And now he found himself in this strange, new, larger world. And a few days after that, the Fiona had found him. I can only imagine how Fionn would have reacted to being told all this, the turbulence of emotions. To be so close to Sive, but to have had her taken away from him again. To hear about the pain she was going through so graphically, how that must have stirred up his sadness and his impotent rage. But also, the realisation that he had a son, 
and that by some strange quirk of fate, the two of them had been reunited. The Fianna called the boy Oshin, meaning little deer, and over time, as he grew, he would become one of the greatest of their number, and despite his late start with language, he would be renowned for his poetry especially, and he would go on to join them on many adventures. As for Sive, would she eventually be rescued by her husband and son working together with the might of the Fianna behind them? No. We don't know what happened to her, for she was never seen again, and the sadness of the two men for the loss of the woman they both loved stayed with them their whole lives. And that's it. And yes, this story is utterly traumatic. Sive is literally dragged away to an unpleasant fate. And once again, there's no saving of anybody here. It's the she screwing everyone's life up and getting away with it, just because they have a crush and because they can. Now when listening to that story of Oshin, and especially when considering it in relation to the last episode, you might have noticed a few details. Firstly, that it's strongly implied that Saive gave birth to Oshin, a human boy, when she was in the form of a fawn. This is in stark contrast to Bran and Skylang's mother, who gave birth to them when she was transformed into a dog, and so they were dogs. Now maybe the curse was different, or possibly the dark druid chose to turn Saive back into a human for the birth for some reason, whereas Uckdelov wasn't around to do such a thing but we don't know. And secondly, while we're on the topic of comparisons, there are pretty strong parallels between this story and the circumstances of Bran and Skylang's birth. Firstly, there's the revenging she, and their attraction to humans and their one-size-fits-all revenge policy of, let's just turn them into animals! Though admittedly applied to a different target, with the object of the affection suffering directly here. Also, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that Fionn's close retinue now includes three people whose mothers were turned into animals by the she at the time of those people's birth. What's that saying about once an accident, twice a coincidence, three times a habit? Though maybe we can count Bran and Skylang as one for this purpose. Even so, I'm watching you, Fionn. This is beginning to look like a bit of a trend. So let's talk versions and origins. Oshin is, spoiler alert, going to be one of the key characters in the Fenian cycle, and is well known as Fionn's son in almost all the literature. However, he hasn't necessarily had this story of his birth connected to him, though this is the most common story told about it nowadays. The earliest known versions of it are actually quite different. In the version from manuscript of the 1100s, Oshin's mother, called Bly, not Sive, is famously the daughter of Derek of the Vehement Words, and crucially, she is a member of the she herself. Rather than being cursed, she turns herself into a deer, for reasons I'm not too clear about, but are somehow about getting close to Fionn. And actually, later in life, Oshin even goes and sees his mother. It's likely in this case that she, or Fionn, or both, should not have been having the relationship. Now, the version I've just told was set down in writing by J.F. Campbell, a Scottish folklore collector who would have sourced the tale from the Highlands of Scotland. 
This version where Scythe is the victim is the most common one in many oral folk tales. In general, even though the other tale is older, I chose this one because it's much more fleshed out and it's much more common. Okay, right, now I'm going to gently walk back some of the stuff I said last episode. Or maybe not walk back exactly, but at least clarify it somewhat. I said last time that one of the things I really enjoyed about the Fenian Cycle was that it was a coherent whole. And I still stick with that, but with one big important caveat around that. Because over the past a thousand years or so, there have been a huge variety of Fenian tales told in Ireland, the Isle of Man, and very widely in Scotland. And all these stories were, as Alan Bruford says, quote, nothing like a single epic or even a consistent cycle of poems, end quote. New tales of the Fenians were often composed throughout this time, with poets using the Fenians as a convenient set of established characters to tell their own stories. In Scotland, Fionn was often Scottish. It was all a kind of fan fiction, indistinguishable from the, air quotes, authentic stories. So how can I have said that I like the coherence and narrative flow of it? Well, that structure which I identified owes itself to the efforts of a couple of authors to bring these stories together and forge a structure upon them, what James McKillop in his book on Fionn refers to as scening the narrative. This was done firstly in the Colloquy of the Ancients, all the way back in the 12th century, but much more importantly and relevantly in Lady Gregory's collection of stories called Gods and Fighting Men, published in 1904. This covers more Irish mythology than just the Fenian cycle, but it is in this book that Lady Gregory, who is an Irish writer and dramatist with considerable renown, pulled together disparate Fenian stories and weaved them into that coherent narrative which I have expressed such a love of. It is this pretty modern structure that I am sticking to when telling the tales, and that I mean when I refer to the coherent whole of the cycle. What I'm largely trying to say here is that though these are the most common Fenian stories told today, that shouldn't be mistaken for thinking that over the centuries there weren't a huge variety of these tales told. I hope that makes some kind of sense. Okay, a couple of other randomly ordered points. Firstly, let's talk about that thumb. I made a snarky comment about that in passing, and it's worth pointing out that the thumb of knowledge is one of the primary motifs about Fion in the general representation of him. It's often more like a prophecy thing than the all-knowledge-ever that was suggested in the Boyhood of Fionn story. He's just a wise seer, he doesn't know everything. And it does just seem to get plain forgotten about in a lot of the stories. So expect it to crop up kind of randomly when the story writer remembers it. Also, let's talk a bit about the she. I really should say that while I keep referring to them as the old gods, banished to the barrows, this is accurate, but it is really an in-story explanation to tie the Fenian legends to the other stories of Ireland in a neat and pleasing way, so that whenever I get to telling the mythological cycle, it all fits into a coherent Irish mythology, sharing a narrative universe. I can't claim credit for this, it mirrors ideas of other writers, but it's not actually how the she were necessarily understood by tellers of these tales throughout the ages and not necessarily how they would have fitted into these tales particularly. Now there's a lot more that could be said about this story. That animal transformation motif is something that pops up in all kinds of different mythology, and has been used to link the Fenian cycle to other myths. All that revenge by turning people into animals is certainly something that puts one in mind of Zeus from Greek mythology. 
Another shared theme would be the episode that starts the story. A hunter pursuing an animal far away from the beaten track is a common motif that we also saw in the story of Poich in Welsh mythology, and that noted academic Joseph Campbell identifies as being one way that the hero starts on their journey. But we have only limited time, and we've now reached a good point in the story of Fionn's. We've got his son and his dogs. Most of the team is together, and soon they'll be off to have adventures, where, maybe, just possibly, they might actually get the upper hand on their opponents. But those stories will come later. Join us again next time when we'll be leaving Ireland behind and telling a selection of stories from the foremost city of the British Isles, that beating heart of darkness itself, London. You can follow Tales of Britain and Ireland podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. There's also a website, talesofbritainandireland.com, where there's a page for each episode which contains more information, including illustrations, asides and recaps, along with other additional bits and pieces to explore. The intro music was written and performed by Alice Nichols, and you can find all the other musical credits on the episode page on the website. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please do share it with others or give it a review, as those really are the best ways to help us out. You can also join Tales of Britain and Ireland on Patreon to get extra members' episodes. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me again soon.